Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler, and I want to just let everyone know uh, again at the beginning how you can interact with us on the show today. Uh, so if you're coming in on the Zoom app, you can submit your comments or questions either to the Q&A box or to the chat window. We'll be monitoring those throughout the show. Uh, or if you're on Scott's Facebook page, you can just put your comments into the comment box there on the uh, live video, and I'll be watching those as well. Um, so uh, we'll bring in our panelists and then get going in our discussion today. Uh, we've got with us today, uh, Justin Dobbs. How are you doing today, Justin? Well, I'm doing well, thank God. You doing okay? Doing well, yeah. Uh, got Dan Bunting with us as well. How are you, Dan? I'm doing all right. Good to see you. And our program director, Scott Smelser. How are you, Scott? Doing well. Happy New Year, everybody. All right, good to see you guys. Um, so I believe that we're going to continue where we left off last week, but Scott, you want to get us started where we're going today? So we've been working our way through James, and uh, we're up to verse 7. Uh, so if one of you guys will take us maybe 7 through 11, please. All right, verses 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. All right. A lot of good stuff in here. Uh, I, per, I like the steadfastness of Job rather than the patience of Job. I think that's probably a better translation. Uh, Job's remarkable, but he, he does a better job of being steadfast than always being patient. And uh, he's a lot more patient than I would have ever been. But it's, uh, I like that steadfastness. I think that's the correct focus. So what are some lessons for us and for our audiences and for our families to learn from this text? Well, you're making me kind of wonder. He mentions patient in verse 7. Is, is it the same Greek word uh, that he's using down in verse 11? That's a really that's minor one. What? That's a good question, and I do not know. That, that's something I can look at later. But I was noticing, again, he's telling them to be patient, and he gives Job as an example whether we use the word steadfast or patient or not. They're synonyms. And it's coming out of the warning to the rich. I don't think he's saying, all right, you rich guys that are going to have to suffer because you're awful, be patient. I think he's telling us who uh, – uh, and, and this is not my life, but those of us who have to suffer under such wicked uh, people uh, with the riches who control us, who, who have that domineering rule over us, and we want to fight back. And I mean, we, we're living in a society that is, is kind of founded on rioting and, and fighting back. And we see that from time to time in our culture here. And his, the, the premier instruction here is to be patient through I think, through that sort of turmoil. And patience 
with what with what end with what focus looking forward to what verse 80 one of the most the, sure things we could have go ahead yeah in verse 80 mentions the the coming of the lord yeah, yeah he mentions it three times verse seven verse eight and in the verse nine the judge is standing at the door um sometimes we're patient because we're waiting for uh, something we hope will happen, but it, it might not actually happen. But this kind of patience is a, for sure, like you can hold on, you can, you can hang in there because this is definitely going to happen. Jesus is coming. And, and so then there's the prophets uh, and Job. Uh, man, I talk about patience and prophets. Uh, Jeremiah. Wow. I mean, you're, your job is to preach the word to people that are not going to listen. And you're specifically prohibited from engaging in a lot of things that make life kind of bearable and, and, and pleasant. And so he's, you know, this is your life, Jeremiah. You're going to keep giving this message that everybody hates uh, nobody wants to hear, you know, the enemies, the, the national enemy is going to win and we have to submit to them, you know, and realize that we brought this on ourselves, not a popular message. Um, and he endures. One of the things I notice here, um, and it's, it's kind of a, a tangential point, but it's, it's one of the things I think when we're going through suffering, going through trials, or we're encountering a, a temptation, or we've, we've got a choice to make, and we're trying to figure out how do I exercise godly wisdom here. Uh, and James has done this before back in chapter two, where he says, you see Abraham? Or check out Rahab, and uses these biblical examples. And so when we're looking to uh, get godly counsel, or we're, we're trying just to investigate ourselves, um, it's really helpful at times just to say, okay, where in the Bible do I see somebody going through a situation that is really similar to mine? And how did they respond? And how did God respond to their response? Or how did God equip them to respond in that way? And just start digging in. And it turns out that God's word is actually helpful to us and trains us to uh, go at life. So, hey, you're struggling. Guess what? You're not alone. There were prophets who did this before. Um, guess what? You're going through trials. You know, Job was there. And don't tell me you had it as bad as Job. Um, and it always makes me cringe a little bit when someone says, I'm not saying I'm like Job, but <laughs> it's like, nope. <laughs> don't, don't go there. Um, I'm a little bit like Job. <laughs> this is like, but at the same time, that is a grand example. I mean, it's, I'm almost hyperbole, right? I believe Joe's a real person. Um, James treats him like this, this, this idea of going back and looking at Job wouldn't actually be helpful if Job weren't a real person. But he is, and he did go through these things. So um, his character, his circumstances, whatever I'm going through, boom, like that is so much bigger than what I'm going through now. Um, I can use it then to kind of narrow down on my circumstances. And so uh, there are, uh, there's an instruction, there's comfort, um, there's rebuke, all in those stories. And, and so looking at the narratives can be really helpful to us, I think. 
you said, uh, you know, well, I, I don't mean to say I'm like Joe, but it <laughs> might other things like, I don't mean to gossip, but <laughs> I don't mean to criticize, but. Uh, so for fun, you might say something. I don't mean to criticize, but that was excellent. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I said I wasn't meaning to criticize. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk a little bit about verse, and let's think about uh, verse 7. It says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it, till it receives the earlier and the late rains. I think, and of course, there, there's a spiritual lesson here for James's original audience and for us and, and the coming of the Lord. But I also think it's interesting to think about this culturally. We live in a culture where more and more we let technology mean that we get more instantly whatever we want. And I think there's a cost to that. Um, the uh, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I've always admired the the type of discipline that farmers have to have. Uh, and in the ancient world, a lot of people were farming, and so this is this is just part of it. Uh, so he waits for the early and the late rains. He's not in control of that. He has to wait. And think of all the work that a farmer does in the spring, waiting for results that are going to come months later. Whereas if you're like me, you stand in front of the microwave going, you know, come on, five, four, three, hurry, hurry. Uh, you know, if we try to use our phone and it doesn't instantly give us, you know, the connection we want, it's like, stupid phone. Uh, so, it, just our, our grandparents and great grandparents, they they couldn't just go, they couldn't just call Uber and get you know uh, pad Thai delivered in twenty minutes and get whatever they wanted whenever they wanted. Um, is there any thoughts on that? And lessons from the text here. And any, any suggestions or advice about adjusting our lives somewhat away from the, where, where we become so short-sighted that we lose the ability to wait? There, there's, a, there's a verse in Psalm 37. It's verse uh, four that, uh, sorry, verse three that jumped out at me uh, recently in reading through it, it has just four simple little statements trust in the lord and do good dwell in the land and follow after faithfulness we need to trust in the lord and we need to do good that might be one statement right but trust in the lord and do good and dwell in the land and follow after faithfulness it, psalm 37 is a lot about uh, dwelling in the land um and, and it, it seems to be where jesus got his uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land or the earth. Uh, everyone translates it earth, but in the context of a group of people who are all about inheriting the land from God, uh, that's probably a better uh, translation. Um, and so the land there would be that specific land. And, and so it has a very personal, national family identity. But you know, what, what does that mean for us today? But 
we, we, have, we have places that we can live. We have an environment that we're a part of. Maybe there's a lot of green space or there's not a lot of green space. But there are, there are winds and there are uh, phases to the moon and there are birds and there are flowers and there's definitely a lot of weeds and there are trees and we can, we can live and watch the changes that go on around us. How many scientific studies are out there that talk about how if people would just look at the waves of the ocean, they will calm down on the inside. If people will just go on a walk, if people will just stand in the wind. There's all these little things about the land or the earth or the creation that we have around us that can have a, I don't want to sound like a spiritualist, but it has a spiritual, it, it, can, it can touch our spirit is really what I'm trying to say. And, and that, there's a connection there, right? moving from the instant that you're talking about and, and, and living in the land and living in this moment and appreciating what's around us. And we're, we're getting more separated from the created world and more absorbed in an online and mm-hmm. artificial world. In the one that we're creating. Yes. And I think of it also too in line with, I mean, short-sightedness is, is not new to this generation. Israel in the wilderness is constantly short-sighted um, and not looking forward to the lar- larger goal. And, but think of how many people have addictions now. And the addictions have to do with, because I want this right now. Um, think of sexual problems, both just the uh, Matthew 1, Joseph's going to put away Mary because she's with child and he knows it's not him. He's a righteous man. He has not been with her. And so he assumes mistakenly she's been with somebody else because he knows he's waiting. Uh, and how many people wait today? Uh, you look at pornography addictions and, and, and just a lot of things. And it's probably helpful for us to think about as we're raising our children too. Uh, if, if they always get quickly what they want, that that's not good for them. And all of us need to learn to wait. And at God's ways have better things after you wait. And Satan's ways have cheap and cruddy things right now. Justin. One of the, one of the things that um, you, you said it right, that God has good things for us after we wait. Um, and, and for the, the righteous here in James 5, it's the coming of the Lord, right? So that's, I mean, how much better could you get? But I think God also has good things for us while we wait. And so when we shortcut and we don't go through the waiting process, then I think we end up, let's say we handicap God, but we, we do get in his way of blessing us, um, the example here, the illustration in verse seven is of a farmer. Um, I think culturally we, we were removed from this partly because we're just we're not as much of a farming culture as we used to be, but also geographically, we don't go through the same kind of weather patterns as they did here in the Middle East. They had you know, the rainy season and the dry season. And so they depended on this cycle of weather. And it was in between these larger portions of rain that they had a lot of work to do. And so if they weren't enduring and doing the hard labor, getting ready so that when the rains did come, they'd, they'd be ready to benefit from that, uh, they'd miss out. So it's during the waiting, during the hardships, we're going through a trial maybe, and 
we've not trained our spirits to handle that trial well, because even in our, our physical things, you know, we open the microwave even before it gets down to one. It was like, I got to have it now. Um, or we, we, we order it on Amazon Prime, which I have Amazon Prime, so I feel guilty saying this. Um, but when it's not here in two days, you know, we're calling up and we're complaining because, you know, uh, this is what I, I pay for. Um, and we, I think you're right. We do need to be really careful about that. One of the things that we might do with that, and I'm a preacher, so I'm guilty of it. I'm in a time crunch. I know where that Bible passage is, I think. And so what do we do? We go to our phones or we go to our computers or go online and we find out where is that verse? And, you know, if you took the time and read that section of scripture you thought it was in, maybe, I mean, maybe, I'm being sarcastic here, uh, maybe there would be a lot to be gained just by reading through that chapter or two to find the verse that we were looking for instead of going, oh, there it is. It's Proverbs 18, verse 14. And just move on. Um, we, we shortcut God blessing us when we, when we're not patient and we endure. And again, physical thing, um, but it does train our hearts, I think, which is what you're getting at, Scott. Uh, if, if we meet a really big trial and we've not been training ourselves to wait and endure in little things, we're going to have some hard times. Yeah. Any other thoughts on any of that before we move down to verse 12? Yeah. Okay. Go for it, Jonathan. Yeah, verse verse nine, it kind of seems maybe a little bit out of place at first um, because he, he's talking about patience and waiting, and then he continues talking about patience and suffering in verse 10, uh, and Job is the example of steadfastness. But then you have verse nine where he says, don't grumble. Uh, make sure you're not grumbling against one another because the judge is there at the door. Um, and at first glance, it, that seems a little bit out of place. But when you think about it, as we're like training ourselves in this process of patience, and following the example of Job and, and uh, you know, dealing with hard things or just kind of staving off our own personal desires and things like that. One of the tendencies that we have is to start grumbling, um, whether that's against other people or just grumbling in general. Um, and so I, maybe that's why James brings up grumbling here and all throughout James, he's constantly going through and kind of giving reminders to train our vocabulary to match where we want our hearts to be. Um, and that goes back to some of the teachings of Jesus that, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And uh, so if you really want to be patient, your vocabulary will kind of reflect your patience or lack thereof of patience. If you're just grumbling and complaining about people or situations or that the you know microwave is taking too long or whatever it is that that shows really how impatient of a person you are. Um, and, and so training our vocabulary is a, a good way to train our hearts to be more patient, too. Side point, this, this is talking about don't grumble against one another brothers, but it's also good to keep uh, a good attitude when we're dealing with people in the world. Um, if, you're, if you're at a place of business or it, uh, a waitress serving you at a restaurant or something, if you're the type of person who complains, uh, you know, demands to speak to the manager, um, if something was wrong, you, they're going to hear about it. But you're not a person that compliments people on a job well done, that tips well for somebody's working hard. You know, there, there's something really upside down there. I mean, there there's a time and a place to, you know, a, a business manager wants to know 
if something is not done well. And if you in a respectful way, you know, let them know that can be doing them a favor. But if we're, if we're making it just all about us and, and going through life complaining about people and guess what? Our kids hear that too, you know, and, and just see what kind of an attitude that we have towards people and, uh, uh, in encouraging words or value. Just yeah, real, we can, oh, go ahead, Justin. This is something separate, just a quick note at the end. Well, just, just on that, when, when we are uh, truly patient, uh, being patient doesn't mean you just go through hard things. It means you go through hard things well. Uh, it doesn't count as long suffering if you're not actually doing it with grace. Um, so it, I, I think that's one of the things that we can do in displaying what we really believe. Do you really believe Jesus is coming? Do you really believe he's going to vindicate you and justify you and declare you righteous um, in all your suffering? Um, so yeah, we display that to the waitress or to our children. Um, so it's, I, I think that is, that is it's an opportunity that we'll miss uh, if, if we're not careful. So, Dan? It's not long suffering just because you've been suffering for a long time. Um, well put. But uh, the, the two words here for patience uh, in verse seven and then steadfastness in verse 11, I think it's patience in seven and eight and then steadfastness in 11, depending upon what your translation has. They are two different words and they're synonyms and they're about the same way that patience describes steadfastness and steadfastness describes patience. So there might be something to be said by uh, what Bible passages uses one and what Bible passages use another to show the difference. But in my quick look on the, on the internet, it just looks like two synonyms that, you know, I I couldn't see the difference between the two just in a quick look. You you did a quick look uh, to talk about patience. That's good. (laughs) Impatiently looking. Very good. All right. Verse 12. Uh, pretty, contains pretty much a direct quote from the Sermon on the Mount we've mentioned before. I think there's maybe almost 20 either almost verbatim or at least allusions or similar language between the uh, Sermon on the Mount and the Book of James. This one's uh, pretty obvious. Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Um, the, the, the Jewish people had a tendency to just do a lot, apparently, of uh, oaths and swearing and stuff and in reading in rabbinical literature, uh, seeing reference such as, you know, uh, well, I swear by such and such that there were as many people on the road today as there were coming out of Egypt. Or I swear by such and such that there was a snake, you know, that was as big as a weaver's beam. Or, you know, and just just a lot of unnecessary things there. And here's this reminder. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And that's a lot better than say, telling how many Bibles you're going to swear on. Any thoughts or discussion on that before we move to the next section? That also echoes a little bit back to what he was talking about in chapter four, um, when he talks about when you're going to such and such a place, 
acknowledge your dependence on God. And that's really kind of what, what you were talking about, uh, you know, making all these swears and things like that really doesn't do uh, what he's saying you need to be doing in, ch- in chapter four, verse 13 and following of, of saying, you know, if the Lord wills and all this, all those sorts of things, that's better off to just be more simplistic in our language and let God care for the things that he's going to care for. Somebody read for us 13 through 18, please. I can do that. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Discussion. I'll just say one thing. This is a section that's, I think, kind of difficult, uh, at least in the first couple of verses, figuring out exactly what's going on. But there are some things here that we can say for certain and know for certain. And one of the big points of this is prayer is powerful, um, and prayer is needed, uh, and prayer works. Um, and, and those are some of the recurring kind of things that come up, like at the uh, end of verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Um, and it mentions, I, I like verse 17, where it mentions Elijah as like an example uh, of that. Um, and how it starts off by saying, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Um, this is maybe just kind of a side point, but oftentimes whenever I'm reading in the scriptures, um, maybe particularly in the Old Testament, and I see a really good example of faith or righteousness uh, in those those characters. That's cool, but it's like, I uh, can't really relate um, to that person. They're almost kind of like a superhero. <laughs> you know, Elijah's the superhero or Noah's a superhero and all that kind of stuff. All of the people that we read about in the scriptures were ordinary people that submitted to God and God used them to accomplish his will. And that's one of the kind of the side points that James is, is making here. You know, we're all just ordinary people that are trying to accomplish God's will and God will accomplish his will through us if we pursue his will in faith. Um, and one of the ways that we do that is through prayer. And it's really powerful when we submit to God, you know, in prayer, in different situations that we get to in our lives, whether those are physical needs or spiritual needs. Uh, one of the things I, I note here um, in verse 13 and 14, um, he's, he's helping us think about our spiritual response to any given situation because you know is anyone among you suffering is anyone cheerful is anyone sick um if i'm suffering i might cry i might call a friend there are other things that i might do that are good and right to do but he says make sure that you take this back to god 
because no amount of crying, no amount of distraction with entertainment, no amount of going to friends and venting to your friends and getting their counsel is going to help. I think my, my likelihood, I, I tend to, if I'm suffering, I'll go to God, but if I'm cheerful, I just kind of like write it, you know, it says, make sure you praise God for that. Uh, don't just, you know, you know, power around with your buddies and party about it and, you know, celebrate. He says, praise God for what's going on, sing praise. And then if you're sick, um, and there's this question about what's going on with the sickness, is this a physical sickness? Is it a spiritual sickness? And in verse 15, he talks about if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Um, I'd, I'd be interested in what you guys think about this, but I, I tend to think that the kind of sickness he's describing is not merely one or the other, but it, there are things that we can do um, that affect us physically, physical things that we do that affect us spiritually, of course, um, but there are times where we're hurting and we're suffering and we don't know maybe why, what's going on. Have we done something wrong? Um, and sometimes there's, there are spiritual problems in our lives uh, and we've not accounted for them and we need some help. And, and there's some passages that come to mind, like uh, Psalm 32 is, is one example. I just want to look at that three passages here in connection with this. But Psalm 32, uh, David here. This is an obvious, he's committed sin. We're not sure which sin this is exactly. Um, maybe this is Bathsheba. But in Psalm 32, he talks about his sin. And in verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, when I did not confess, like James 5 teaches us to, my bones wasted away. There's this physical response to his spiritual condition. Um, I did not cover my iniquity, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. Uh, you forgave the iniquity of my sin, in verse 5. So, there's this physical suffering he has because of his spiritual situation. And that, that sometimes can be the case. But then there are other times, like in Psalm 102, um, where it's maybe not clear exactly why we're suffering. And in Psalm 102, it's, it's a prayer of one afflicted, it says. And in verse 4, he uh, says, uh, My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. So my heart is struck down. There's this inner problem. And sometimes because of an inner problem, we don't feel well. You know, we don't feel like eating. We can't sleep. Our, our mind is racing. Our heart is racing. We're all out of sorts. There's a spiritual, physical interplay. Uh, and then finally, Proverbs 18, 14, uh, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Uh, I think we've all been, you know, sick. Just get frustrated and tired and then, we get better and we're okay, but then you get discouraged and you're in a slump and you're just beaten down and you just, you can't live without hope. So there, there, there are spiritual, mental, emotional things that we endure and it feels like physical sickness sometimes. And so how do we relate to that? And I, I tend to think that's part of what James 5 is dealing with is you're suffering. Maybe you need to talk to some people who can help you go through this and address some spiritual things. And if there's sin, God forgives that sin. You can be healed of that sin. Uh, there's great power in prayers. It's working. And you need to get other people. And I know that for me, personally, I have been helped uh, by people praying for me in certain spiritual situations where I have been counseled and uplifted 
when I'm discouraged, when I'm despairing, when I'm caught in sin, uh, and people have prayed with me and counseled me and, and really walked alongside me to get me out of that situation so that I'm, I'm doing better. So there's a lot happening there. I don't think this is maybe, um, you know, call the elders when you've got the flu, um, but maybe we don't call on elders like we should when we're struggling with discouragement or caught in sin. So that, those are, there are a lot of interesting dynamics there that um, James helps us think through about prayer. Dan, John, thoughts on any of that section? Uh, well, what I, I, I want to, you know, take a little bit more time to, to, to think through what you're saying. I don't, I don't think I necessarily disagree at all. Um, and so the, the way I look at it might sound different. I don't think it's necessarily contrary. I've, I've often taken a, just a, a really basic and, and simple uh, way of talking about this. In verse 14, he's talking about someone who's sick, physically sick. You've got problems and then you pray and you get this help. And by the end of the discussion, he's moved on to spiritual sickness. And it's, it's, to me, it, it's, um, it might be oversimplification, but it's one of those, he starts talking about uh, one meaning of sick and he ends on the second meaning of sick. Um, you know, and, and exactly at what moment did he go from one to the other? And, and I don't think it's going to be beneficial to find, you know, where's the center, the center point. But, but really, you know, what, so I'm seeing a very simple discussion here. If anyone's got a cold, uh, you, you call on this help and um, these, these people come, they're going to counsel and they're going to pray with you and they're going to help you with your sins and you can be forgiven of God. And that, that's kind of the, the progression I see it, which is not the same way you're looking at those verses, but I feel like it's, it's expressing a very similar, uh, that it is expressing the, the same spiritual need, the same physical spiritual need, how, how they are wrapped up together. Yeah, maybe some general applications we can get out of this is we're, we're not to live out our faith in isolation. And so when we are struggling, we do need to pray ourselves. But, but James says, call on the help of other brethren. Amen. Uh, so whether that's physical suffering or spiritual, emotional, mental suffering, um, we ought not live in these isolated bubbles thinking, I got this. That was one of the things that really uh, made things worse for Elijah. The, the example he gives here, I mean, he... Uh, he flees from Jezebel and then he leaves a servant behind and then says, I alone am left. <laughs> well, you left the guy behind. <laughs> so you don't live in isolation. Um, and God sends him back and says, you need to go get Elisha. And by the way, there are 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Uh, we, we benefit so much from the help of other Christians where there is physical suffering or, or not. Jonathan, any thoughts on this section? Um, maybe just one other side thought that I have because they're so kind of uh, interwoven together. It looks like there's, there's physical sickness and spiritual sickness as well, but they're all kind of tied to the same interaction or, or activity Um, to me kind of just implies what the content of prayers would be like um, whenever people gather together and pray together, even if there is physical sickness that uh, the spiritual needs would be, a focal point of the prayers as well, because it says that the elders are coming and they're praying over the person that is sick. Um, and if he's in verse 15, if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Um, this maybe doesn't exactly apply to James five, but an observation that I've made elsewhere 
and looking at prayers in in the New Testament and the scriptures. Um, you have like places like Third John, Uh-oh. where John. Am I cutting out? We caught you in a, a freeze frame right there, Jonathan. Can you hear us? Okay, I think I'm back now. Yeah, all right. You cut out. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah. so I'll, I'll just start. Had a very interesting facial expression that was just frozen there for a while. Yeah, that's good. Nice, perfect. Um, but the the point I'll just make quickly: there are there are. Yeah, it's cutting out. I'm cutting out uh, still. Let Let me throw. Yeah. Let me throw out something here on the expression uh, or the instruction. Uh, if you're sick, uh, call for the elders and have them anoint you with oil. Um, one idea I've heard on that is that this was medicinal use, uh, like in Luke chapter 10, where the good Samaritan, you know, has been, he finds the fellow that's been beaten half to death and he uses bandages and wine and oil. Uh, I believe that's probably something different for two reasons. One, that's external wounds. He's putting wine and oil on external wounds. The text is talking about if somebody's sick, and then then it gets into, you know, as, as we've been discussing, spiritual sickness and physical sickness and such. But the other thing is that that wasn't... The, the, the word anoint here, it doesn't just say like, you know, take an aspirin or, or put a, you know, thing on your uh, mustard pack on your chest or something. It's anoint him with oil. And where else do we see that in the New Testament? It's in Mark chapter six in a context of miraculous healings. And so in Mark six, and keeping in mind, James is written in the first century where there are, you know, spiritual gifts available. And as we know in First Corinthians 12, one of the spiritual gifts that many Christians had was the gift of healing. Let's go back and listen to this language in Mark 6 and notice how similar it is. He called the 12, Mark 6, verse 7. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over unclean spirits. And then it says in verse 13, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So notice there the comparison between that and James 4. You've got oil, and it's an anointing with oil upon people who are sick, and they are healed. So based on that text, I would take that part of this instruction to refer to um, similar as Jesus gave the apostles here, miraculous abilities uh, of the time. And that would be the anointing instead of just, this is some type of uh, medicinal treatment. Any thoughts? It is an interesting Go ahead, Dan. All right. Well, I was going to say I like the uh, the very simple instructions that we have for prayer in this paragraph. 
Um, uh, so much, so much of the example of prayer in the Bible is personal and um, almost only spiritual, uh, which honestly ought to be the big bulk of the prayer. Um, but Paul opens and closes, you, I, you guys are in my prayers, you guys are in my prayers, and we might not know what that would mean. Uh, and and uh, you, you can definitely tell that it's their spiritual condition, their strength, their faith, things like that from the context of what Paul was talking about. But this is this really spells out um, one more aspect of prayer, and in particular, um, our fellowship together in prayer, praying together and praying about each other uh, in, in a lot of detail that isn't found um, in, in other parts of, of the whole Bible. And in a New Testament where we have, ins- we're looking for instructions, what should I do, what should I do? Uh, and we don't get a lot of instructions about how to worship or how to praise. There's not a lot of detail. This is a very valuable paragraph. We learn exactly the kinds of behaviors, the kinds of reactions, you know, praise and prayer and singing and, and what to pray about um, that, that if we didn't have this paragraph, we might kind of, we, we, it might be easy to not know maybe what to pray about. Um, this isn't the only passage where we learn it, but we do learn a lot about how to help each other with our prayer. And I like the point that's already been made that it's not just when things are going bad that our attention should turn to God, uh, but when things are going well as well. All right, verse 19 through 20. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, and uh, I don't know that anybody's wondering about that, but I don't think it means you've saved your soul from death and covered your sins. Um, it's, I believe, that when you've helped that sinner return back to the good shepherd from whom our forgiveness comes, when he comes back, um, that's delivering his soul from death and the sins that he has committed uh, can be forgiven. Uh, Any final thoughts before we wind up today? Would it be worthwhile? uh, We have a comment here about um, James 5.12 and uh, swearing and letting your yes be yes, your no be no. Um, Correct me if, if my thing is not right on this. Um, back in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus does say in Matthew 5, um, which again, we mentioned James is riffing off of Jesus here. Um, you know, you shall not uh, swear falsely. And he says, you know, you know, let what you say simply be yes or no. Don't do anything more than that. It comes from evil. Um, would that be similar perhaps to Jesus later in Matthew 6 talking about um, there are those who go and pray on the street corners that they may be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Jesus is not saying don't pray on street corners. He's saying avoid the kind of um, attitude, the kind of heart that they have when they do this. So it's okay to pray on the street corners, um, but don't do it for the same reasons. So in the same way, uh, I don't think Jesus is saying all oaths are bad 
all vows are wrong. We see Paul taking an oath later. Um, God himself, it's the same Greek word here in Hebrews where he, he swears an oath by himself. Um, but I think what the Jews were doing and what maybe James is warning against is where we say things like, well, I didn't promise I would do that. Uh, and so because we didn't promise, because we didn't take an oath, therefore we're not held to our word. Is that kind of what James is getting at there in James 5.12, do you think? I'm trying to remember. I think the American standard says uh, swear not at all. Uh, I can't remember if that's how it renders it or not, but I'm also not looking at the Greek, so I don't know if that would be uh, correct translation here. I'm, I know there are people pointed out different places in like I adjure you and different things, and and there might be a question: What's a vow? What's an oath? What's a swear? And where are the lines in between? Obviously, the vow that uh, Paul took and uh, in, in the shaving of his head and stuff. I don't know that that would be the same as the swearing here, because sure, this seems to be the opposite of swearing. Here is tell the truth. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. We've all known people that. Oh, I swear, I swear it's true, you know, and they'll swear on their mother's grave. And if you've got another guy that is not going to swear, but he just always tells the truth, his yes is always yes, his no is always no, who are you going to believe? I'm going to believe that. And that it's that type of swearing here that seems to be the focus. But I will tell you, I, I, I avoid swearing even in court. Uh, I was uh, witnessing, uh, actually, attempted murder trial. One time, uh, stumbled upon the situation, and, and I was the first witness, and I, I affirmed to tell the truth. Uh, I chose not to. I, I, I'm, I'm personally, I'm not comfortable, you know, swearing. Uh, but I know that some people have looked at different passages in Scripture, and and so I, I'm not sure. But I, I know for me personally. I just, I just avoid swearing, and sure. I want my yes to be yes, my no to be no. Yeah. And with the illustration you gave, it's certainly a lot easier if if we were to be uh, in a situation where we were called on to make an oath. Like, does it even count? You know, um, if you have to take an oath, like some people. You think they're definitely perjuring themselves, but <laughs> yeah. you can't prove it. Um, you can't you can't prove it. And like you have to remind you, you're under oath. Well, if you have to remind somebody to tell the truth, I mean, you, you right, kind of right. missed it anyway. Um, so I, maybe just the idea is we ought to be the kind of people where uh, nobody has to second guess the story we're telling. You, you know, you know, they're telling the truth. You ever talk to somebody and they say partway through the conversation, "Can I be honest?" <laughs> oh now you tell me <laughs> I don't think you can I don't think you can right, we are out of time Jonathan will wrap us up here in a second but I'll mention this uh, we were talking shortly beforehand about what to do after James and Justin suggested uh, some parables so if anybody in the audience had, and we'll do that for a little while we won't do all the parables but if anybody in the audience has a particular parable or two that they would like us to address put that in the notes send it to us and uh, we'll look to be doing some of that next week 
All right. Um, and really quickly, um, if you'd like to do that and submit those uh, online, you can visit our website at BibleQuest.tv um, and just go to the Tuesday talk show. And that's where you can put in your name and email address and your and your uh, question or comment. You can include the uh, parable that you'd like us to discuss there as well. Um, but with that, we thank everyone for joining us today. And thank you, you guys, for our discussion through James. Uh, and we will see you all next week, Lord willing.